how I easy. I wish that there was a job that was just reading menus. <laughs> My first question to that is, huh? Said kind of like. You heard me. <laughs> you know, there are people who read menus for the blind. No, I don't want to read them out loud. I just want to sit and look at them by myself on my computer. Is that like your favorite way to read? Like, is that your favorite thing to like? Because a the mom, only way to read. Wait a minute. So you wish? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. 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 Wait a minute. Wait. 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 So you would like to just read menus in your spare rib time? I can't believe you're yes, asking spare this rib question. Time. Listen, like, it's weird to me that you're not, like, totally. Like, am I the, really the only person that likes to be like, I just want to look up a restaurant down the street and check out what's on offer, but, like, I need to know the desserts. I need to know the cocktails. I need to know the sides. And the weirdest part, I guess, one might argue is I'm definitely not Gonna go there. That to me is the rub. I love a menu. Like it's truly window shopping. love a menu. It's like window shop. <laughs> it is. I did actually just refer to someone, a friend of mine is in Indiana, and he was like passing through Bloomington, Indiana, which is where I went to school. Shout out to IU. There's a restaurant that I dream about called Mother Bears. It's a pizza restaurant. It's the doughiest pizza. It has a spinocoli pizza. It has barbecue chicken pizza. Spinocoli. Can I ask you, what the fuck is a spinocoli? Spinocoli has broccoli, spinach, garlic, cheddar, mozzarella on it. It's like a white pizza with just like green garlicky goodness. Ugly name for a beautiful thing. Beautiful. Spinocoli. Spinach and broccoli. Spinocoli. Okay. All right. (laughs) And then I don't know if you need to give it like a weird celebrity couple name like the, the, you the do spinach broccoli pizza. But that but it doesn't it doesn't fully encompass because it's a lot of cheese. But then you get breadsticks with like nacho cheese and homemade ranch. And then to me they're like Pieta Resistance is they their house salad, mm-hmm. homemade ranch duh, but they put goldfish in it as opposed to croutons. Genius sold. It is. If I had one word, it would be elegant. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you. I've never ranch, iceberg lettuce, if little I tomato. Had one word, it would be seconds. <laughs> and you they know do what I'm this, saying? They do this genius thing where they put a little bowl in a big bowl, and so what you do is they give you the side. And I don't usually like when you have to mix your own. Like, what am I? A salad mixer. A salad mixer. <laughs> a mixonista. No. I didn't know what to say that was possibly of that. <laughs> I was like, what am I? What am I? Don't oh, offend someone. I was like, I don't know. Uh, but you take half the dressing and you put it on top and then you pour it in the bowl so you get the bottom half. And then you pour the remainder on the bottom half. So it makes mixing your own salad fucking brilliant. It's amazing. Ah, uh, I could, ah, uh, ah. Uh, mm, mm. yeah. If you're just tuning in, this is a podcast <laughs> about salads. In um, a way. Welcome is. to Truly Darkly. Creepy. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ippema. And we're so glad that you're here. We can't believe you're here again. Dear readers. What is this? Episode? I mean, I didn't come here to count. I didn't come here to make friends. I didn't come here to count. Oh, good to know. (laughs) 
awful to say that <laughs> casually. I didn't come here to make friends. I stole that from America's Next Top Model, but I love to say that in everyday oh, life. Like, yeah. come to a restaurant. I didn't come here to make friends. I came here to win. Yeah, lady at the cash <laughs> register when you're at a grocery store. Friends. Let her know. I came here to win. You Listen, I buying this mozzarella. I'm not here to make friends. It's a simple business transaction. Please stop smiling at me in that friendly, friendly way. Don't invite that. Do you know what my grandma says? Hmm. When someone goes, have a nice day. And my grandma goes, don't tell me what to do. Oh, I love <laughs> your grandma. Like, she's the greatest. She's the 89, year, um, 81, 89, 80, 88 years old. Oh, God. Guys, so <laughs> I'm going to give you some quick numbers because I've got some math to talk about. You have maths? Yeah. I'm going to jump right in. Are you ready? Yeah, but I'm I love in the in. UK when they said, I'm not very good at maths. I'm not like, good at maths. They they plur- I think they say maths. Yeah. That oh, makes sense. Mathematics. It is a plural. Yeah. Us Americans are the jerks in this situation. Carrie, I want to let you know that the year was <gasps> 1978. <gasps> Put yourself there. It's December. It's chilly. December 11th. Uh, the time is 3.12 a.m. Wait, okay. December 11th, 
So this guy, they're like, we have your family. We know who your family is. We know is. who your family is. So basically, he just like nods. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to fucking do whatever you tell me to do. Meanwhile, Rolf, Rolf, Rolf Redman was a senior agent at the airport. Never he hears Rolf. a noise. And at the loading ramp, he goes to investigate. And then six armed robbers force their way in and handcuff <gasps> him. Oh, my God, Rolf. Then they start walking down the corridors. They use a key. The robbers use a key at the airport to get into this uh That they had separate corridors. from Carrie and separate from Rolf? Or they yes. took Rolf? They show up with the key. Oh. Um, so you're like, what's going on, right? So they start rounding up employees. And after they have all the employees together, they ask one robber to go, like, keep a lookout. And the rest of them march the hostages they so far have or whatever you want to call them. They weren't really hostages. They were just the people that worked at the airport. They weren't held hostage. They marched them into the lunchroom. That's and a ho- If the- someone's forcing you to do anything and they have guns and they're like yeah, robbers, they're for sure I just want to be clear hostages. that they don't end up asking for like money to release but hostages. But a hostage is not what necessary. makes a hostage situation is a hostage some- I think situation. a hostage situation is people who can't leave. It's not a kidnapping because they're not like... They're okay. not, like, taken to a second location. They definitely location. were not allowed to leave. I'm pretty clear yeah. on that point. Yeah, Sounds like hostages. Hostage. So they take them, yeah, the French. Hostage. Hostage. They take them into, like, this employee break room. There are other employees there on break, and they're Ugh. like, okay, everybody, we've, we punched this guy, Waylon, in the face already and showed him, and he was, like, bloody. And they're like, see, we're, like, serious bad guys. Don't mess around with us this is a weird question would you be so butthurt if you were on a break and you clocked out for 15 minutes and, and then you happened? and this happened and no then, because then the break's longer yeah but then you wouldn't be getting paid for it like at least these other oh, guys like, on would, the clock like i'd rather be on the clock and make some money if i'm in a hostage situation it's a good point i didn't think about that. anyway sorry that's where my <laughs> um so they know each employee by name they're like talking to them by name and Weird. they force them to the ground. They make John Murray, who was the terminal senior cargo agent, call this dude Rudy over the intercom. And the robbers <gasps> knew that Rudy was the only guard that night that knew the combination to the double door vault at JFK. And Murray, like the dude that they're like, call Rudy. They're like, you need to pretend that there's a problem with the load from Frankfurt. And tell Rudy to meet you at the cafeteria. So they, like, know how things are going. They, they like, know, know everything that's happening. a ton of shit. Like, they're very what? informed. I, um, what are these cargo people trying to look for? So, like, one gunman or whatever keeps watch over the employees and the other three. So Rudy gets there and is like, what's the uh-oh, you know? <laughs> I think that's what he said. I'm fairly and certain. And that Seinfeld, Opens like, the- boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Not again. They take Rudy at gunpoint down two flights of stairs to the vault doors. They also kind of know what's up with that because they were like, we, they they knew the safety system of the vault in the sense that they were like, okay, open this vault door. He opens it. And then they're like, now completely shut it and reseal it before opening the next, which the security system there was that if you opened one vault door and then you just opened the second, an alarm would go off. You These, needed to have the one behind it was you an shut. They definitely knew. Job. Well, I'll get to that. Um, they get in there. They asked Rudy to get on the ground. They start sifting through the invoices and freight manifests to decide what they're going to take, and they start taking like parcels of money. Essentially, they throw them through the door. Forty percent of the parcels there were removed 
Um, they leave the same way they went in with Rudy doing the don't set off the alarm double door action. And they get to the car. They tie up Rudy. The other employees, they say, all the cafeteria folks, they're like, listen, don't call Port Authority until 430. And at that time, it was like 416 and they leave. And according to the clock in the cafeteria that they could all watch, they don't make any calls till 430. They just do what the gunmen say. Wouldn't you, though? Definitely. I just I mean, like that they did leave. Like, they're like, listen, don't call anybody till this time. And then they leave like, and everyone's that is like, like... It sounds like a... Everyone's off. But, like, picture those... What I want to picture is, like, the 14 minutes in the cafeteria with everyone watching the clock being like, should we call yet? And it's like, no, we have to wait. And then it's, like, finally 4.30 and you're like, police? Like, it's just weird. <laughs> So they call the Port Authority police. They seal off the entire airport. Now, the gunman needed that time because the Port Authority police can seal off the whole airport. It was three people, right? It was the gunman and like three. It was a, no, it was a bunch of people. It, it was, was like okay. nine people or something. Gotcha. The Port Authority police can seal off the whole airport in 90 seconds. So it was like Ugh. they really did need that set of time. If they had left and someone called right away, they'd have been caught. It had been sealed off before they could get out. At 4.21, the van with the robbers and the cash pulls out of the cargo terminal, leaves JFK, and it's followed by the crash car, which the whole robbery took like an hour and four minutes. The whole thing. And it's a big fucking robbery. We can't even do a podcast in an hour and four minutes. Do you know what a crash car is, by the way? I figured this out while I was like researching this. It's kind of crazy. What is it? So the getaway car, it's like you're in that with the loot. The crash car is a car that follows behind you. And if you get tailed, the whole business of the crash car is, like, to try to almost, like, distract or engage the police in a different chase or something. Basically, the crash car has nothing, but it's just there to, like, distract Distract. to hopefully get the other car away. I would not want to be the crash car driver. It sounds like you're just sort of... It's probably, like, some adrenaline junkie who just, like, really wanted to be, like, a race car driver. And, like, really loved Fast and Furious. Goes bungee jumping on the weekends. This is 78, so but, like, like loved Evil Knievel. Definitely. Big fan. So they drive to a a garage in Canarsie um, where Jimmy Burke, the mastermind of this whole thing, is waiting. I know a guy named Jimmy Burke. I don't think it's him. It's probably not him because he's on a softball team and he's an actor, but Yeah, this Jimmy Burke is... um, Not a good guy. An up high guy in the mob. <gasps> so it's, I don't think it's the same guy. Um, Definitely the money not. is switched to a third. <laughs> so good if it is. <laughs> he now he's reformed and he plays softball. <laughs> you can do more than one thing, everybody. Don't let Carrie limit your goals. <laughs> Reach for the stars. The money switched to a third vehicle and is driven away by Jimmy Burke and his son Frank. The rest of the robbers leave and drive home, except. One of the robbers named Paolo Lee Castri, who insists on taking the subway. Hmm. Do it. Do it your way, Paolo. Parnell stacks Edwards, puts a stolen license plate on the van, different plate, and then he was supposed to drive it directly to an auto junkyard uh, to get rid of the car and turn it to scrap metal or whatever. But he does not do that. We'll get to that in a minute. Not a good choice, Parnell. Burke and his son Frank drive the third car with all the stolen money to a safe house where they can count it. And um, Burke realizes, like, the scope of the robbery. He did not know how much they were going to get, and they got about $6 million. Good job, uh, guys. This is, thank God for Venmo. This loot would not be in. 
the airports nowadays. Hop All in a time machine with me. Baby. We're going to go back in time now and talk about how this came to pass. What um, happened? So the, okay, so the original plan in this heist was the idea of Peter Grunewald, who was Lufthansa cargo worker at JFK. Um, Ugh, Lufthansa. Lufthansa. I know him well. Uh, Grunewald knew that they regularly flew large amounts of unmarked cash from Europe to the U.S. The currency was exchanged overseas by American tourists and servicemen, and then they would fly it to JFK. So this money would immediately be just transferred to American banks via the trucks, but delays sometimes meant that the cash delivery would arrive after the last trucks had left. So when that would happen, when the delay would happen and the trucks had left, they would store it at the airport. In, in the, the vault. double vault safe. So there's this unmarked cash that he knows is sometimes camped out at the airport and it's vulnerable. So he has this friend, Lewis Werner, who also works at the airport. And they had like previously actually been successful in stealing $22,000 in foreign currency, which 22000 back then, I guess today, that's like 100000 22000 in 78 is a billion dollars. In 76, they stole that. So that was a billion and a half thousand. It is. No, the conversion rates are so crazy. They're so crazy. So they feel like they get how to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like a good rehearsal. Now, the main issue is that like, so Grunewald's like, we're going to do another heist and get more money. The problem is that Lewis Warner has like a gambling problem (gasps) and he gambles. And so he (gasps) was in debt to like the mafia. And he has this huge debt. So he basically double crosses his friend and he takes the proposal that his friend makes to this bookie, uh, Martin Krugman. And he's like, hey, we should do this robbery because I owe you money already. Here's my idea of how to pay it back. Yeah. I'm your inside man. Here's a key. Here's information. That's where they got all um, the knowledge they had and how the vault system worked, everything. So Krugman, the bookie, takes the idea to this mobster-turned-movie consultant, Henry Hill. And Hill is an associate of Jimmy Burke, and Jimmy Burke is... um, Sarah's going to have to look up how to say this. I don't want to say it wrong. It's like the name of the mob family, and I really do not want them to murder me. (laughs) So it's like Lucchese. It's like L-U-C-C-H-E-S-E, but I don't know how to say that. How would you say that? Lucchese. 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 Oh, it's CC. I knew that. Double C is a hard Double C is a C. Yeah. Like orchette pasta. It's not orchette. We're looking at you. Orchette. Lucchese family. Okay, so Jimmy Burke is an associate of Lucchese family. He's like the mastermind of the robbery. He's running things. He's the one that hires the team. He's the point guy. He's a project manager. Yeah. So basically, the whole plan was like, we're going to get this van. We're going to transport the cash. Basically, it's a bunch of people in Lou Casey family that are involved. I'm not going to read all their names um, because I'll kind of get to them later. But there was also Paolo Lacastri, the guy that takes the subway. He was included as a representative of of the Gambino crime family, which they got like a payment because they sanctioned the crime. I do not know how mob stuff like that works, but it sounds think it's, just, safe. it's a lot of IOUs. Yeah, and they also had to pay like this guy Vincent Asaro, who was in the Bonanno family crew, because the robbery was on. Because <laughs> am I saying that wrong? The Banana family, Bonanno. Yes, the Banana Rama, the Banana Rama family. 
They had to pay them because the robbery was on territory belonging to the banana is Yes, it's just like imagine like they're all different countries and so they have to like do taxes and I think pay. Like it's like it's a lot of just like you traveling through my land, you owe me money. Yeah. Definitely. And they say the voice. <laughs> You're really good at that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's go back to our friend, Eddie. I told you what would happen. Parnell Stacks Edwards is his name. He's the one that was supposed to take the car to the junkyard. And he didn't. He did not do that. Can I tell you what he did instead? What did he do? Instead, he was like super high on life. Adrenaline. Yes, and he was like fucking pumped. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to smoke some weed on the way to the junkyard. And he does. And then he's like, you know what? I'm actually, I'm just going to drive to my girlfriend's apartment and I'm just going to park the van in a totally conspicuous no parking zone. And I'm going to spend the rest of the night getting Making drunk. sweet, sweet love to his girlfriend. Getting drunk and doing cocaine. I don't oh. know if they made love. Coke dick is a thing. But <laughs> I'm not sure. I can't speak to that. I wasn't I there. can't speak to that. I wasn't there. I wasn't, I wasn't there either, to be clear. I wasn't there. <laughs> okay. I was, a, oh, I was a little egg in my mom's ovaries. I, that's my yeah. alibi, baby. Okay. I recall your so alibi. So he just parked the car. I'll have to verify Did he change? It. He changed the license plates. To stolen plates. <laughs> not, <laughs> like, not his best, You know what? This is how moment. you know, as a manager, you failed. Because it's about who you hire. And clearly this guy... Well, so he's, the next morning he's like just sleeping in and the van's totally discovered and impounded and identified and And they fucking totally know it was used in the burglary. And he just taped, it was weird because he taped the license plate over the other one and they just removed it with painter's tape. (laughs) 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 Well, so his fingerprints were on the steering wheel and a muddy shoe print that was found at the airport matched Puma athletic shoes that were in the car. And he... Uh, he got oh away. Like, he got away, but they got the van. Parnell got away? Parnell got Chris away. Chris Parnell got out. away? So the FBI is like, you know what? We've got two immediate ideas about who would have the skill to fucking do such a cuckoo heist. And it's either going to be the John Gotti crew or it's going to be the Jimmy Burke crew. Oh. Um, so they're zeroing in quick. Um, and then they're like, you know what? It's probably the Burke crew, which was, like, largely decided... Because of the discovery of the truck and Parnell's involvement. I'm sorry. I swear I turned this off. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. Forgive. I'm embarrassed for you. I'm horrified. Um, what am I, so, 90 I'm years old? for Edwards, too, because the whole thing is that, like, it basically they, they knew, they ended up knowing it was Jimmy Burke because they knew that Edwards was involved in the past with Jimmy Burke nonsense and blah, 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 blah. So they start doing what you do they like do helicopters and they bug people's vehicles and they start like watching the phones at robert's lounge which i assume was like maybe one of the lucchese family hangout spots for sure for sure i've seen Um, godfather and even they like do the they whatever uh listen in on the payphones that are next to that bar god i love it um also like what's funny is they have all this evidence and they still have to gather more evidence well they do they, d- I mean, they, they like know it's them. They're like, well, they know, but, we but that's not how crime works. No. You can't be like, but I know. <laughs> I'll wait. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they don't know, but they know. 
And they, they what they get from like all the audio they're recording off phone calls is like interesting, but not entirely helpful. Like they would like get clips of people saying things like Lufthansa bag or something about it being a bag being buried, but they wouldn't get enough ever to be like, yeah. Um, So Henry Hill that I told you was like a mobster and then a, I think a movie maker, he turns informant. Oh shit, Henry. Oh, Harold Hill. The thing is, is never trust a guy named Harry Hill, Henry Hill, or Harold Hill from the Music Man. He was a grifter too. He was a con artist too. Yeah, well, Music Man. I don't know Music Man. You Should don't I know? know Music Man? He's a, Isn't that a musical? It's a musical. He's oh, a what? I don't care He's about a what? That. He's a Music Man. Oh, it's the... Harold Hill. I, don't I, care I about starred that. in it in eighth grade. How could, could you, you not? Mary the, the librarian. Duh. Mary she was, the librarian. Is Marion the, lead. the librarian. She was the lead, and I played her flawlessly. And could Harold, you give us a little sample? Uh huh. <laughs> Good night, my someone. Good night. My love, sleep tight. My someone, sleep tight. My love, your star is shining. It's bright as life. So good night, my darling. Good night. I sing that to Koa sometimes. That's beautiful. (laughs) Eighth grade, baby. Eighth grade. We can cut that. I don't. Um, I am available for bookings. Please do not. Babysitting and bar bat mitzvahs. So you have side gigs. (laughs) So basically, Burke starts doing what any responsible mobster would do in this situation which is murder everybody <laughs> they can, they does can, he start with chris parnell he does yeah i mean uh actually if i want to be honest with you i i didn't write down like the dates of these kills but yes actually i think parnell was the first to go he had to be and so he had pissed to be the first he to go because like, he really blew it the hardest he like he like, the hardest he's the only one that well i don't know if he's the only one here's that blew the thing it. like i think what happened was according to henry hill uh burke started also just getting like super paranoid so it, it, it's the vibe of like who's gonna turn informant yeah on me and the more people that were present or knew about this uh the less chance he was gonna get caught if there were fewer yeah. so it's just it's simple maths um <laughs> so basically what happened was Parnell is fucking visited by Tommy DeSimone and Angelo Seppi at his apartment, and they shoot him five times point blank with oh. a twenty-five caliber revolver. Re- <laughs> is what my sister used to call revolvers, revolvers. Which sister? Brianna. Revelier. We were playing, and we only—I only know that because of playing Clue with her, where she was like, "It was Mrs. White in the hallway with the revolver." And we were all like, what the fuck is a, re- oh my God. Well, you lost you because. You are an adult person and you do not know that word. She was thinking it was French. So as we said, you know, DeSimone was one of the guys that kills Parnell, but he doesn't last long, actually. Um, he disappears on his way to what he thought was a mafia induction ceremony, but it was not. <laughs> I'm so sorry. sorry. We're so Mafia sorry. induction ceremony. It's like a cotillion, but for killing. Do you want to know his nickname? Duh. Two Guns Tommy. Cool, right? I would love that nickname. Now you got no guns, Tommy. What's Carrie's nickname? Punched in the face, Carrie? <laughs> <laughs> Poor God Carrie. Damn. Poor Carrie. Carrie wasn't a monster. He didn't get a nickname. I know, but Carrie got punched in the face. It's just, I feel bad. I do too. I feel bad for 
all these people. I feel bad for De Simone because his girlfriend, Teresa Ferrara, was also murdered because they weren't sure if she was an informant and her body was never found. Oh, Teresa. Um, Tommy Monteleone was somebody that basically, okay, what happened was a group of the mobsters, I think, or Burke thought, or probably is true, wanted to take some of the money that was owed them and launder it and keep it for themselves. And Burke got angry. One of the people that was going to help launder it was Tommy Monteleone. Two Gun Tommy. Um, I don't know what his cool nickname was. He was going to wash it through his Players Lounge nightclub. He gets killed. And then Marty Krugman that we talked about. By the way, Marty the Rug Krugman. God. Do you want to know why? Why? He had two jobs outside being a mobster. <gasps> Did he transfer bodies and rugs? Better. He worked a illegal lottery and he owned a men's wig store. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's great, Guys, right? move over Ocean's Eleven. It sounds like this is going to be the, the next rug. movie like starring who's going to be in it. <laughs> So he, I was, don't know. he I'm not a he casting was like, director. Um, annoyed about the money because it wasn't coming to him fast enough. From um, yeah, we like so he was part of this deal. He was one of the OGs that like brought it to Burke, and it's taking a long time for his money. So he's just like kind of nagging Burke. He keeps and sending that's why follow- he's killed. Oh God! For like. That really makes you think twice about sending follow-up emails of invoices that you sent, isn't it? He was killed in a mob run, Rockaway bar. His body never found. And the quote I found about it from De Stefano is, it was the most trivial of things. He was making a pest of himself. So it was just like, you were annoying. God, I'd so get killed you, so fast. I know. Mafia. We would be dead long We'd ago. be dead so quick. Oh, thank God we have only patient friends that aren't associated with the mob. Well, that we know of. Right, you have to check on this Jimmy Burke guy. This this actor, you know. This actor is a softball player. What did mm, it cover? Pretty suspicious. Richie Eaton was slain and left hanging on a hook <gasps> in a meat locker. Oh, I heard of that happening. You that have, was a... Do you know why you heard of that happening? Why? Because the whole thing that I'm telling you about is The Goodfellas. I'm just telling you the movie and this didn't really happen. No, just kidding. The Goodfellas <laughs> is based... <laughs> Wouldn't that be so funny if I that was a real? Love that no, the Goodfellas is based on this. So when I said this is going to be turned into a movie, I was right. Am I a producer? No, Damn. you're really late to the game on this. <laughs> but like, remember when I said the one guy was killed? He thought he was going to be inducted into blah blah, yeah. and he was killed. Yeah. That's um Joe Pesci's character. Jeez, yeah. Louise. So it's like all of this. Burke is. Oh fuck! What's the guy's name? The lead guy in Goodfellas. That actor, handsome, not no. but it's not Rob Lowe. But it might be. No, it's not Rob Lowe. No, it's not Rob. What's that guy's name? Who's that guy? It's, he, I know it's Does like he Tommy Mattel. It's like thing. he's like he's got a Goodfellas lead, like the front guy, the guy that's like standing in the middle. It's not Robert De Niro. Oh, Robert De Niro plays Burke. That is true. But the guy, I forget whose perspective right, not, it's like, from. It's, it's like the guy. It's the oh Henry Hill's perspective is who the movie's from. So who played Henry Hill? Ray Liotta. I said Liotta. I think did I did. Really? It was in my mind. I Why said, did I say Rob Lowe? Because it's RL. I don't know, but RL. I swear I was like suddenly. I I don't know. We can. I didn't say anything. I'm sure. It was okay. Ray Liotta. But just add that in later. It was Ray Liotta. So it's important to know that he was hanging on a meat hook in a locker because mm. that scene is based on it. 
I'm so sorry to tell you that Louis Roastbeef Kafora and his wife Joanna were also killed. If you have a husband with the nickname Roastbeef and your name is Joanna, fucking change that. You change can't be like, well, she didn't go by Roastbeef, I don't think. Mrs. Roastbeef. No, but I just mean change it. Like, like you can't like be with like, hey, this is my husband. No, no. His you, nickname you know is Roast Beef. You're about to disagree with that, and here's why. Hi. The reason that he was killed is after they did the robbery, they were like, listen, nobody likes spend weird amounts of money that's obvious. Like, don't do that right away. What did he Guess do? Guess what Roast Beef does? What did Roast Beef do? Buys Joanna a pink Cadillac immediately. So now you do want to be married roast to him, beef, right? Roast Beef. Well, no, because it just got them both killed. Well, they they were compacted with their car in a junkyard. In the pink Cadillac? Compacted. Oh, I don't know if it was the Cadillac. Ooh, probably. Probably. That's Fucking so compacted. Po- I, mean, I gotta tell you, the mafia is good about, like, creative shit. You know what I mean? Robert Frenchie McMahon worked, as a, worked at cargo operations at JFK, and he helped with, like, the info and the yeah. stick-up. He was killed execution style in his Buick, bullet to the back of the head, and with him was Joseph Buda Monri, who had been responsible for locating the employees that they took hostage in the heist. So they were both in the car shot. That's also seen in Goodfellas. And then our friend that took the subway, Paolo Lacastri, remember he was the Gambino family. He was there. Um, he was a, whatever this means, a pizza connection drug trafficker. Mm. If you know what that means... I'll give you a dollar. A pizza connection drug trafficker? I didn't have time to dive that deep, but I'm. it's just I, a it, list of nouns as far as I'm concerned. To me, it sounds like someone who, like, gets pizza delivery people, like, who work at, like, local pizzerias and probably, like, enlists them to do drug, like, in between their pizza deliveries so that, like, they have an alibi where they're, like, on the clock and they're working, but they're also able to traffic drugs. You're good at this. That's my assumption. Well. I don't know this from experience, mom and dad. I don't. Know that. Lacastri's naked bullet riddled corpse was found discovered in a burning trash heap six months <gasps> after the heist. Oh. Angelo Seppi, who we also chatted about a little, uh, he and his girlfriend Joanna were killed in his apartment. Joanna's apartment. Did I already say that one? How many deaths? Oh, there's so many dead. I didn't count. I, you know, it's you a lot. Everybody just kept dying. All right. I, you know what? I'm going to wrap this one up for you. This was the most infamous caper in the U.S. history. It's known as the Lufthansa heist. Um, What's a caper? It's a heist. I don't know. It's a... Well, it's a great little... It goes little, really well with salmon. It goes great with salmon, like with a little piccata. Oof. Delish. Have you ever fried a caper? Do this. Ooh, that you fry so capers in oil, and then you put them on a paper towel so they get... You get a little crispy? Dry. Yeah, get crispy. And then you throw them in a salad. Listen, it's that the smartest great. thing you're ever going to do. Ugh. So Love that. Sorry. They Back got $6 million from the heist, which would have been $22.5 million today in today's <sighs> money in cash and jewels. None of the take was recovered. <gasps> and only one person served time. Was it Jimmy Burke? It was um, Louis Werner. The guy that worked at Lufthansa. Because it was all that could connect. Mm-hmm. 14 months after the heist, Henry Hill was arrested on other charges, and he learned that Burke and Seppi had been planning to kill him, and that his arrest basically, like, put him Saved in him. even more danger. And in the sense oh. that they were like, you're definitely going to turn. We're for sure going to come after you. So he, a month later, ent- entered the witness protection program. And, but he was not and able. And his name is... 
<laughs> right. Here we go. <laughs> Maybe it's Jimmy Burke. Maybe it's a softball player, Jimmy Burke. Oh my God. And he changed, he couldn't think fast. They were like, what do you want your new name to be? Jimmy, like, Burke. Jimmy Burke. Oh my God. And that's your friend. <laughs> so he wasn't able to help the government get convictions against Burke or whatever for that robbery. Okay, here's what I want to say. He was not able to help the government obtain convictions against Vario or Burke for that heist, but both were convicted of murder because of his testimony. So he was the one, like, a lot of the murders I just listed to you are according to Henry Hill. That's where we have the information because you notice a lot of those murders, I end with saying the body was never recovered. So a lot of this was Henry Hill's testimony. So Burke did serve time for murder of... Uh, I can't remember who one of them um, but he never was like busted for God. the fucking heist if I'm going to do a crime I'm going to do it I'm going to marry into the mafia you'd I be mean, smart I would be smart but then you gotta stay on the good side don't ask for money they are fickle friends those you know mafia what? And those are fair weather friends and you know what we don't need that I, I never knew of, about That's that crazy. story you're crazy you're crazy Sarah just put her glasses back on. Hello, serious. dear readers. All right, I guess it's my turn. Yeah. So I'm going to do this story of Resurrection Mary. Don't know at all what you're saying. So Resurrection Mary is like the most famous ghost in <gasps> Chicago. Oh, I love it already. And there's a lot of clouded mystery. There's not a lot of like concrete information, but I'm going to tell you what we know. The reason I know about Resurrection Mary is like growing up, I always heard about her. And so I wanted to kind of do a little bit more research to figure out who this broad is. So this is taking place in Justice, Illinois, um, which is a few miles southwest of Chicago. It's not totally far from where I'm from. And I would hear these stories about like, mysterious ghost hitchhikers or like cars driving and someone just landing or like a person landing in the backseat of a cab or things like that. But as it goes, it's the vanishing hitchhiker and she's Chicago's most famous ghost. And so um, since the 1930s, several men driving northeast on Archer Avenue between Willowbrook Ballroom and Resurrection Cemetery have reported picking up a um, young female hitchhiker. Right. And she's reportedly blonde, blue eyes, and wears a white party dress. She's one white party dress away from my description. (laughs) She sounds gorgeous. She sounds hot, 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 hot. (laughs) Um, So the reports are various, but like some say she has like a shawl. Some say her dress is like a white old timey dress. Um, She has a little purse. She's always very quiet. And usually what happens is the driver like will pick her up or somehow she'll get in the car and she'll be like, drive me home. And she'll give them direction directions. And while she's on Archer Avenue, when she passes by Resurrection Cemetery, she's like, stop, 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 stop. And then she just disappears. Wait, what do you mean? Out of the car? Like you look over and she's gone? Yeah, there's various reports, right? So... This guy who I saw some, by the way, I did a lot of research on Wikipedia, some Reddit information, um, and I also watched a little bit of Unsolved Mysteries, which, ugh, that show, what a banger that show was. I love that show. And the acting in it is terrible. Mm -hmm, Exactly right. So this guy, Richard T. Crow, is a full-time ghost hunter. Okay, that and menu reading. 
Those are then my two gonna, jobs. What was I the want. other job that you wanted? A full time skeptic was last week's. Like, oh my God, that, I really need a job, y'all. <laughs> like, like, what are my dream jobs? Full time skeptic, menu reader, full time ghost hunter. And this guy has those like amazing 80s glasses and he's like, I've collected dozens of reportings of what is he said? They're substantiated reports of Resurrection Mary. And he talks about how the people that have told him these stories are not like are usually like they're like blue collar people they don't have much experience in paranormal activity it's usually like one it's like the only story that that has ever happened to them so mm-hmm. it makes it less i think for him it makes it more likely that they happen because it's not like someone who keeps crying wolf it's like this weird thing happened to me and i can't totally explain it so the story goes of mary is that uh, mary spent the evening dancing with her boyfriend at the willowbrook ballroom and They got in a fight, and Mary storms out, and as she leaves, um, she's walking on Archer Avenue, and a car comes, hits her, she dies, Um, and it was a hit-and-run driver, so they never found the driver, but um, he, I was assuming it's a he, I should have, but the driver fled the scene, leaving Mary to die. Her parents found her. And were grief-stricken at the sight of her body. And they buried her at Resurrection Cemetery in a white party dress and dancing shoes. Um, So a lot of people have looked in Resurrection Cemetery for, like, the grave of, like, who's this story? Like, Mm -hmm. who is it? And it's pretty inconclusive, actually. They don't know exactly. So there's two names that came up in my research. Um, One of them was in the cemetery. They found Mary Bragovi who died in 1934 from a car accident. However, it was in Chicago Loop, so it wasn't on Archer Avenue. Or this was in 1927. It's Anna Maria Norcus, who died in 1927 in an auto accident while on her way home from the O. Henry Ballroom, which is the same as the Willowbrook Ballroom. Mm. So change. So those are like the two possibilities of this person. I also, when researching it, I was like, oh my God, if I'm driving on Archer Avenue, am I about to be like, am I welcoming this ghost into my life? Who knows? We'll let you know after the holidays. Yeah. Okay, Welcome so her. She sounds lovely. There's a couple of stories. So I'm going to go through a couple of the stories Please. that I have. So in 1939, this story, I believe, came out in 1989. R- Richard T. Crow, not to be confused with Russell Crow, Richard T. Crow, the full-time ghost hunter, he interviewed this guy who was like 70s or 80s or whatever. And so he talked about in 1939, he met this young woman at a dance hall, not in Willowbrook. And that is like pretty common in the late 30s, 40s, like a dance hall is a thing. Mm-hmm. I wish it was. Wouldn't that be fun if we're like, I'm going to the dance hall to go dance with people. Just And it's not like a club. It's just like part. It's Anyway. That's exactly what I want. That's like <laughs> what I want for every birthday. And that's not a thing. And it's not. Because usually it's like club, dark music. Like what if it was just like. And I like. By the I just way, want wedding music. I also music. would not like to begin dancing at 10 o'clock. It's winter. It gets dark at 5. I would like to go to a club. <laughs> That opens at 5.30 and closes Have at 9. Have a little cocktail? Yeah. I mean, that's Mary. There she is. There she is. She's um, you. So he meets this woman. He believes her name to be Mary. And she's wearing kind of an old-fashioned white dress. And he says in the interview, which I actually thought was sort of funny, he was like, she was really quiet. He uh, didn't learn much about her, but he did learn that her name was Mary. 
Sounds like a great guy. <laughs> Which I love. I mean, I guess I'm like thinking back in the 1930s, like maybe things are a little bit more like women are concerned. Like women are like a. F- I just like to think that they put him on the spot and they were like, what do you know about her? And he realized he's a shit. He was like, oh, I, I mostly talked about me. Her name was Mary. She was such she a, a good cool listener. Dress. She was quiet. Yeah. So they ended up kissing and dancing and he drove her home along Archer Avenue. Mm-hmm. And when she exited the car, she disappeared in front of the cemetery. Oh, shit. So she vanished. The another story is in 1973, another nightclub, not Willowbrook, Mary showed up. And uh, a cab driver went into a nearby bar, the bar across the cemetery from the cemetery. He goes into the bar. I don't know if these actually, I didn't, wasn't very good at it, but I guess another night, Mary showed up, someone drove, she disappeared. Also in 1973, a cab driver went to the bar across the street from the cemetery mm-hmm. and he went and he was like, yo, it's really good acting. Yo, a lady didn't pay for her cab fare. I'm going to go full Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, this young lady, she just left. She didn't pay for her cab fare. So. <laughs> So people are like, OMG, it's Mary. It's totally she Mary. She never paid. She never paid for her fare. She just like disappeared. <gasps> I'm going full Chicago for the rest of this podcast. Okay. And then in 1976, 1978, and 1989, my birth, um, there were spotting work. There were a bunch of series of these ex- like, uh, happenings where a car was driving on Archer Avenue. And a woman appeared in the street and either they hit her or she was standing right or nearly hit. So there was like a woman who appeared in front of a car. They drove, either hit her. And by the time... Mary, be careful. You're going to kill someone else. Mary's kind of like reliving some trauma. Maybe she wants company. She wants company. So she... But by the time these... And it's mostly men. I think it's all men. By the time these men get out of their car, she's gone. Right. So they don't know. In August of 1976, there are burn discoveries on um, that look like handprints on a wrought iron fence outside of the cemetery. I wonder what that even looks like on iron. It's That's like there's a picture like I can show you. Looking? It's like melty. Yeah, it's like really black and charred. Officials from the cemetery say it's a truck and there is no evidence of a ghost. But... But how do they know? How do they know? And why do these like two... Where there's like a car, I don't know. A truck, like what do they mean? Uh, a truck, like with a hot truck, hands? like yeah, like well, not a truck. Like how could a truck make that damage? That's what I mean. Do you know what I mean? Um, in 1979, a cab driver picked up a young woman who he calls a looker, a blonde. <laughs> <laughs> she was young enough to be my daughter, 21 taps. But a real looker. But folks. a looker. Weird, weird. A looker, um, but maybe a no-toucher. So this is like the most common, this is like one of, this is like where this story comes from. So 1979, this guy picks this girl girl up, 21, looker, blonde, young enough to be my daughter. Looker, 21, taps, near a small shopping center on Archer Avenue. So a couple miles up Archer, he says she jumped with a start like a horse. This guy had a lot of respect for women. It's important <laughs> She jumped, uh, like, with a start like a horse um, and said, here, here. And when he hit the brakes, he looked around and didn't see no kind of house. And 
he said, where? And she sticks her arm and points across the road and says, there. So he goes, where? She points there. And that's when it happened. He looked like over his shoulder or something. And then when he looked back, she was, she was not gone. There. Bitch was gone. Bitch left. Like a horse. Um, and he fled. was like, oh, this is actually, a, this is, these are quotes that I wrote. When I turned, she was gone, vanished. The car door never opened. May the good Lord strike me dead. It never opened. Geist um, is described, uh, who's Geist? I don't know. Um, Apparently this guy um, describes this gentleman, Ralph, the cab driver. He's like not an idiot or a maniac, but rather in Ralph's own words, he's a typical 52-year-old working guy, a veteran, father, Little League baseball coach, churchgoer, the whole shot. So we're just meant to picture this is a regular guy that's not like this was reported in fanciful story time. This was reported. Geist was the columnist, but we don't need to mention him. That's going to confuse people. But he was like this good guy. And then they say in this article, it's a simple explanation, Ralph. You picked up the Chicago area's most preeminent ghost. Resurrection Mary. And that's all we know about Resurrection Mary. Oh my God, I love it. I hope you visit her I on mean, your next. I think I'm too you... female for her. I think she's like oh, it's just she's, dudes. That's and right. that's the thing is, it's like usually these like men who are by themselves and they're traveling like on a very specific highway or uh, Archer Avenue, which is like a pretty busy part of uh, a pretty busy street. Yeah, um, but just like beware of hitchhikers. But I love this guy. What do you say? They might follow you home. They might follow They may you, follow love that you ride? home. But I actually love the may the good lord strike me dead. It never opened. It never opened. May the good lord strike me dead. No, don't. No. She is. Don't strike him dead. So I don't know. I mean, then we got to talk about Ralph the cab driver. We don't want to talk about Ralph the cab driver. No, 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 no. no, no. We don't want to talk about you. Live no. a long life, be happy, don't haunt people. Don't want to be happy. Or do. Those are your decisions. What varying stories have we had today? This was amazing. <laughs> Truly the one of our mafia. best episodes. <laughs> I cannot believe you guys keep tuning in. We have so many listeners at this point and readers to boot that we <sighs> don't even know what to do. No, we it's, don't. Instead, you just need to tell your friends. Like, subscribe, follow. Let us know if we said anything Write us wrong. an email if you're happy, angry, sad, lonely. Truly Darkly Creeply at gmail.com. This has been Truly Darkly Creeply. See you next time. Bye.